Well, and welcome to the interview, Father John Ricardo. Father John is joining me. Father John, are you finally back home? Are you in Michigan now? I am today. <laughs> I'm Life like the is... spirit where the wind blows. I have no idea. Yes. All right. So Father John has absolutely no idea how we're going to do this interview, which I love. So Father John, here we go. I, I know you can handle this. Uh, our life of faith is filled with a lot of both ands. People often want to live an either or kind of life, mm. but there are a lot of both ands in our life of faith. Is Jesus God or man? Yes, both and. Um, I'm going to get insight out of you today, Father John, regarding like what's happening in the church. What are you seeing? What are you sensing? What's the Lord doing in the church? By asking you a lot of basic like principles and insights that are in the scriptures and in our tradition, and ask for your, what are you seeing? What are you sensing? So so the good news is there's no wrong answer, okay? That, that's probably the best kind Fantastic. of test. Fantastic. <laughs> okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to warm up here just so you see where we're going with a, this is a softball. Okay, we just finished the, the, the Lent. Lent, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Okay, of those three, what do you see we need to appreciate more in the church today? The call to prayer, the call to fasting, or the call to almsgiving, and why? Yes. <laughs> See, that's it. Right. Okay, now I want you to go deeper. Yeah, up uh, three. yeah so, oh, really, I have to go deeper? Uh, yeah, so uh, let's let's hit all three, because uh, I, I love the both and, and we're so prone to, to um, perhaps artificially elevate one over another. So, I mean, the church has always said these three things, kind of like they, they intertwine and work closely together. I'd say prayer first, uh, and here's why. Um, I think that if if I was to make an observation on the work that we've seen over the last four years, especially just kind of traveling around the country and doing the work that we're doing with bishops, priests, lay folks, whatever, um, prayer has often become an agenda item. It's like a line item. It's something we get through before we do the real work. But prayer shouldn't be an agenda item. Prayer should drive the agenda, whether that's for a husband, his wife, or their family, whether it's for a bishop in his diocese, whether it's a pastor and his team, whatever it might be. And so um, this call back to really sincere encounter with Jesus and the Father and the Spirit and prayer, I think, is um, is first and foremost. Um Fasting, to be sure. I, in fact, I just got off the phone with a friend of mine who uh, does pretty regularly, like seven-day water fasts, and he said to me, "Man, I'm just amazed how much clearer I see things when I'm fasting like this." And uh, I know that's true for me too. Somehow, fasting's fallen out of practice for lots of people. Um, I don't know how fasting became two small meals that don't equal a bigger meal. Like that, to me, is just not fasting. Like fasting is you don't eat, and. There are so many reasons for this, um, not least of which could be um, for warfare and for intercession, which there's a massive need in. Um, so I think there's a, you know, Jesus didn't say if you fast, he says when you fast. So there's a pretty clear implication that we will be fasting. Um, this is a time in the church, I think, where we need some really heavy artillery, and that's what fasting is to me. Um, and then almsgiving uh, kind of ties them all together because almsgiving is this expression of charity. And if we do anything without charity, it's just empty. So um, almsgiving is, is, for those who may not exactly remember, is that which we give over and above tithing. Oh, tithing. What's tithing? We don't even tithe anymore, so let alone almsgiving, right? So we need them all. Um, and that's kind of my attempt to give you some answers. 
because we're warming up, I'm going to let you live with all three. But just to let you know, I'm not okay. going to let you. I'm not going to let you give get get away with giving all of them. Okay. All right. Second, time. Okay. The concept of time in our life of faith. Time is time in terms again of emphasis and understanding the life of faith of Catholic Christian disciples that you encounter, or even in, in church leadership. Time is is the journey we make towards God, towards heaven. So is time. Time has the journey towards God, and therefore life is not just a journey, but it's a journey with a destination, and you better be paying attention to that. Or time as the journey of God towards man, Advent. It's the coming of God towards us. So time as chronos. We're headed somewhere, folks. Pay attention. Or time as kairos. God is breaking in. Get ready. Now is the time. This is the opportune moment. Make a response. So of those two understandings of time, which is more desperately needed to be understood today? I'm going to go with option B. If for no other reason, then the initiative always belongs to God. God's the one who takes the first step, whether that's in creating us or redeeming us or in calling us to encounter him. Um, and so to be ever more mindful of the fact that in every moment, no matter what's going on in my life, highs or lows, sufferings or joys, um, the Lord is present to me and is coming to me and wants to say something to me, even if it's just hang in. I love that. I think that uh, that sense of the initiative, that word, the initiative of the Lord and breaking into our lives. If folks had that sense of being receptive and being alert, that would fundamentally change how we live our life of faith. Okay, great. Um, along those lines, let's, let's stay those lines. Three traditional disciplines that are associated with growing in our life of faith, going deeper in our relationship with the Lord, silence, solitude, and simplicity. So silence about being still internally, externally, solitude, coming, come away with me, come apart, or simplicity, strip down and focus, do what matters. Of those three disciplines, what are, again, which where would you put the emphasis in terms of a need for us today to appreciate more, enter into more fully? These are great questions. Wow. <laughs> I um, told you this is going to so, be a different interview. Don't worry. They're going to get it. harder. They're going to get harder, so, too. I, I think most people would say silence, but I would actually say it's solitude. And, and I would say it's solitude because um, silence, apart from solitude, is just silence. I, I think the, the primary call, at least the way I would see it, the thing that's most important right now is to, again, let's go back to that question you asked before with the initiative that God's coming towards us. God's continually knocking on the door of our hearts, inviting us to come away and to be with him. It's only once we're with him that we then enter into silence so that we can be in communion with him. We can talk to him. We can listen to him. And, uh, you know, the, the single greatest habit that anybody ever taught me was to give the first fruits of the day to God by being with him. And, and one of the ways that we're with him is by entering into silence. But the first call I think is to be with him. I love that. That's a great insight. So a lot of folks struggle with solitude, I think, because they think of it as isolation. So they're coming apart to be by themselves versus coming apart to be with God. And so I think they really struggle with that sense of the presence of the Lord if they were to come away from the crowd, come away from the busyness. Yeah, and, and you know, like one of the thoughts that maybe ties these last two things together is I think so many of us have this image that when Jesus ascended, he left, which is not true. 
Like the whole idea of Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father doesn't mean that he's far away. It means that he is exercising lordship over the universe because that's what it means to sit at the right hand in scripture. And so God isn't somewhere far away. Like heaven isn't some other place. It's like another, it's another um, dimension of the one reality that is where God is. And every once in a while, the Lord comes through the veil, but the Lord is right here, right now, and right there, right now. And so like, I don't have to go find him wherever I am. He's there. And if I would but um, be ever more cognizant of that and ask the Holy Spirit to help me to understand it, uh, we might be in a better place with regards to solitude. Okay. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. So here's the next one. Again, I'm talking with Father John Ricardo today, and uh, he's getting a workout, getting a little workout today, Father John. You like this? All right. I'm loving it. We're going to up the up the game a little bit. We're going to go mm. back to Bonaventure, and uh, Bonaventure connected to St. John Paul II. Bonaventure, in one of his works written to the superiors of religious communities, says that the, the three enemies of the spiritual life are dis- diversion, distraction, and dispersion. Diversion as what John Paul II calls infidelity, that we are diverted from the path we're supposed to be on, diversion. Distraction, John Paul II calls inconsistency, where we're not uh, diverted by sin, but we're tempted. Squirrel, we, we, get our, we, we stop paying attention to things. And then dispersion is about, he calls being slowness to act, John Paul II. As a result of being dispersed in so many act in so many directions, we can't concentrate. We can't have that concentrated sense of energy. We get caught up in the rat race, and so we're not bearing fruit. So today, are we struggling most with diversion, that infidelity, distraction, inconsistency, or dispersion, that slowness to act? It's hard. That's. Uh... I would say it varies. So here's how I would answer it. I'll answer it from the perspective of a priest and uh, from what I see in many of my brothers uh, and in the, in the clergy, uh, I'm going to opt for dispersion. And the reason for that is, um, and this is family life too, I think, but I just can't answer it from inside in the way that I can here. In most parishes, not all, but in most parishes and in most dioceses, uh, most people spend most of the day playing whack-a-mole. So that game where, you know, like things pop up and you just go from thing to thing to thing to thing. And so you're just living with your, your head on a swivel. And, and from, you know, the most of my friends are, are married folks and that's much of their life too, to be sure, especially depending on the size of their family. And I, and I think that, uh, getting caught in that game actually bleeds into the other two. So one of the ways that we have found to be pers- uh, particularly helpful in dealing with that is asking the Lord repeatedly, Lord, there's a lot of things right now I could concentrate my attention on, you know, whether it's as a pastor, as a father, as a mother, whatever it might be. Um, what is the biggest single need in my parish, this diocese, this family, our marriage, What's the biggest wound? And then let's hone in on that and concentrate our attention to that. I, I, that's that's how I would answer that question. Nice. So he, I, when I think about sort of the arc of life in the church, so you and I have been at this for over 30 years now, right? Um, I would say that 
we've come from a time where the rat race was the thing. And so it was dispersed into so many directions. It feels like now with this portal of hell called the smartphone, (laughs) uh, that distraction has become such an enemy of growth in the spiritual life where it becomes so convenient and easy to waste time. And so there are so many, and this is probably more the family life than in the life of a priest. But I would say that uh, many, many, many lay people are not advancing in the life of faith and in the spiritual life because of distractions. I love that. That's the complementarity here because I I think that's probably spot on in marriage and family. And I think for us, it's more like, I just can't stay sane right now. And I can't stay sane because I've got all these things popping up out of the ground that I have to care for. Not that I have to hit on the head, just to be clear. (laughs) All right. Father John, are you liking this? Is this good? Oh, I'm loving this. Bring it on, brother. All right, great. Okay, here's the next one. So uh, if you take a look at a lot of uh, like corporations, they talk about vision and mission, vision statements, mission statements. So vision is about identity. Mission is about purpose. And so when we think about the concept of identity and purpose, vision and mission, I'm called to be a saint. That's my identity. I'm called to fulfill the mission that God has for me in this life to be salt, light, and leaven. In the life of faith of the ordinary Catholic Christian that you're talking about, do they need to focus on and do they struggle with more their identity as children of God who cry out, Abba, Father? Or do they struggle more with the call to bring the gospel out into the world and be salt, light, and leaven? Identity or purpose? Yeah, so I don't like the question because uh, so I'm going to say both and. <laughs> See, so, this is I good. The, well, first I of all, right I like the fact I, I like the fact that there's silence. I like that I'm making you think. This is good. This is good. This is not a oh, I got this right away. I I got it. the fact that you're pondering things is is a victory. I'm already taking a victory lap, Father John. Okay. <laughs> good. I'm glad. Well, I got a blue book in front of me where I can write down all my notes. So I, I think it's both. Here's why I'd say it. So um, I, I think. If there's a, if I'm going to make a, in order to them, I think it's identity first, because I think everything flows from identity. And my experience, at least as a priest, is both personally in my own life and, in, and, and just walking with people is the single biggest wound for pretty much everybody I've ever known in my life is identity. We just don't know who we are and we don't know whose we are. And we often hide behind facades and titles and cars and clothes and being in shape or athletic ability, whatever it might be. And even though we've heard over and over and over again for so many years, many of us, God loves us. I don't think most of us really believe that. I don't think we've encountered that. I don't think we know that we know it here. I don't think we know it here. So I think identity is, uh, is that which is most important. Uh, and in fact, without which uh, the mission is going to go haywire. You know, St. Ignatius would often say that God doesn't so much move linearly, like from A to B to C. He moves more this way. He just keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And my own life, personally, the one thing he just keeps going deeper in is, do I really know what it means to be son and beloved? Not for anything I've done, just for who I am. And uh, and I'm still learning that. Having said that, I don't think there is any clarity amongst the church, clergy and ordained, let alone alignment on what the mission is. I don't think we get it personally. I, I, uh, I think, 
And, and I think I've been, this is something the Lord's been teaching me in the last couple of years in a very particular way. I think I would have said, after, if you've had the encounter with Jesus, then the, the goal is to grow in holiness. And, and, it, and that's really important to be sure. I don't want to minimize that in the least, but that's not the mission. That's like the interior mission. But the mission to go out, like Jesus sends us out in order to continue the work that he began on Easter Sunday of recreating this world, which he loves, which might cost me my life. And so to, to, to grasp that and to understand that the Lord has placed us with uh, particular gifts in particular contexts and circumstances so as to, this is C.S. Lewis's language, which I love, be an agent of sabotage. And to bend back into conformity, healthcare, politics, entertainment, education, athletics, whatever, so that it's back into conformity with how the Father has created it to be. And, and I think especially for men, once we understand that that's the mission, to get in the game and to continue the work of recreation, which the Lord began, suddenly like guys are ready to roll up their sleeves and go to work because I'm up for a battle. I like that. You know, I, uh, Carrie and my wife and I, when we met and we talked about like going deeper into God together, she grew up in a family that focused on mission. And I came through a path of conversion and transformation that focused more on identity. So I like I would say, let's go deeper into adoration and contemplative prayer and then the transformation that comes there. And she's like, no, we got to go out on the front lines because that's where we meet Christ at the point where the church meets the world at the point of proclamation. That's where we're going to see the living Lord actually at work. And that's going to change us. And so it's a fascinating thing that, that there's compliments, right? Communion and, and mission, right? John Paul II. And so uh, yep. it, I think that um, there there can be a sense of, Going in deeper into that sense of identity is so desperately needed for people when we hear like this whole arrival of healing of father wounds and healing of, you know, family tree issues and all of that. Uh, there is, compl- I think, that compliment that you're talking about, the desperate need we have just to go out. Because if we wait till we're healed before we go out, we're never going to be fully healed. Part of being healed is exactly. going out, right? All right. Exactly. All right. Next, uh, we're going to get... Question's going to get a little harder now. Okay. <laughs> okay. Here we go. You keep saying that. I know. I know. All right. All right. So all right, I'll, I'll throw one out. That's, that's a challenging one. Um, so uh, you mentioned men. And so men are called to follow after Christ, priest, prophet, and king. That's what they're anointed. And as such, they're called to lead, provide, and protect. And so I want to talk about the need of men today to lead, provide, and protect. And, and so that idea of growing. So to lead, to go first, to be out front, to be generous, to do more. All right, that's one. To provide, to be with, to suffer, to persist, to intercede, persistence. And then to protect, to stand up, speak out, and push back. To preach and live the truth courageously. All right. What would be the greatest area of growth for men today? To embrace their call to be Christ the King, to lead, go first, to, to be generous, to be Christ the priest, to provide, to be with, to suffer, to intercede, to persist, or to protect, to stand up, speak out, and push back uh, by preaching and living the truth? Depends on the man. Depends on the state of life. Depends on the context. I'll come at this from a couple of ways. One is uh, I've, I've always found most provocative John Paul's line that the, the mission, the task, so think of fathers first. The mission and the task of fatherhood is to reveal and relive on earth the very fatherhood of God. Some task 
right? Reveal and relive the fatherhood of God. And so, you know, like Aquinas would say things like you can you can talk very generically about situations, but the moment that you start getting um, you start going down a little bit deeper, you got to get very particular and very specific. So, you know, um, think of a husband who marries a woman who comes from a broken family. What's going to be needed from him is going to be di different from somebody who marries somebody who came from a very loving family where she's confident in her identity and she knows who she is and uh, she doesn't have a, she hasn't entered into marriage with a broken heart. I'm thinking of my dad. My dad married a woman who came from a divorced family where my grandfather had an affair and abandoned the family. And despite all the externals that she might have had, she was a, a really bruised reed. And so in my dad's case, the most important thing was to protect, to let her know that after God, she was the most important person in his life. And she, he, made, he made that his life's goal to, to do that. Other people, it's going to be uh, it's going to be different things. I think, you know, for each of the, this is not the cop out answer. This is, I think, the, the the need to go back to solitude and to be able to waste time with God. If I'm not, if I'm trying to figure something out without asking the Lord, Lord, what is it that you're asking of me right now? Which one of these is most important in my concrete circumstance? Then I'm I'm necessarily going to arrive at the wrong answer. I like that. Yeah, I um. I, I, and the answer is, of course, right? And all these, they're all both ands or all of the above. And, yep. and I like how you're, you you personalized it and just say it's going to depend on the guy. Um, I'll, let me say this, and then you can react to it. I think in general, sure. men today, Catholic men, and I don't know, this we could, we could Catholic men who happen to be priests and bishops, uh, the need to protect by speaking the truth courageously with conviction and completeness right? That, that the truth is going to protect. And that means we have to be willing to stand up, speak out and push back. It feels like it's a time where we are in desperate need for uh, a more prophetic leadership in, in, in men, but also in priests and bishops. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I would wholeheartedly agree. I would make one caveat, which is to say, I, I think this is what's so significant about the transition from um, what's often called a Christendom era to an era which is no longer shaped by Christendom. So what, what does that mean? It means, so the church has existed in these two different eras since Jesus's ascension, one where um, the culture around us uh, was deeply shaped by Christianity and by biblical worldview, and one where it wasn't. And I think the challenge is for those of us anyway, like our age, right? We've kind of been living in this hinge between um, there are still traces of Christendom around, to be sure, but they're evaporating quickly. And so to take note of the fact that we've we've left a time, I think, by and large, where the, the, the glasses that people see through the worldview that people have is a biblical worldview. We're in a completely different worldview right now, which means as crucial as it is to... Um, uh, to speak truth into difficult issues, they can't go first. What has to come first is the proclamation of the gospel because people haven't heard it. And so if I don't lead with a compelling and attractive proclamation of the gospel and I lead, say, with morals or something like that, which are very important, but if I only lead with those, I'm probably more likely to create anger. 
Whereas my goal isn't to convince you that you're wrong. My goal is to win you to Jesus. And in order to win you to Jesus, I have to help you to understand who he is and what he's done, which is probably something that you've never heard if you've grown up in this culture. I just don't think most people have ever heard of the gospel in the church and out of the church. And then from that, because that's the foundation, right? And then from that, then we can go after all sorts of things, which we need to go after. But I think it's first things first. And the first thing first is the proclamation of the gospel. And then the call to accept that and to respond to that wholeheartedly by surrendering everything to God, including the way I think and the way I spend my money and what I do with my body and how I understand sexuality and all of those things. But it's a response to this God who is love. And most people don't think either God is real or that he is love. And so things get out of order and we oftentimes provoke, again, anger and resentment, which were the, that might come anyway. That's fine. But I want that to come after I proclaim the gospel. I want you to know what you're walking away from first and what you're walking away from is not a moral code. So, okay. So this is, uh, this is now I'm going off script here. So this is good. You, you challenged me. All right. Um, when I hear that, and, and and I'm thinking you're referencing that book, right? From Christendom to Apostolic uh, Age or something mission. like that. Mission, Apostolic Mission. Um, the fact that we're in a post-Christian world, it, it, it the, the concept of proclamation, it feels like it, it would need to be done differently from the following standpoint. That, you know, we, we have that, um, we have all of the, the uh, statistics and, and the uh, way of identifying people where they talk about nuns, right? They're no longer associating with a, a religious uh, pr uh, profession. But now there's this uh, category called duns. Have you heard about them? The duns. I'm just done. I, I, I've heard all the language. I've seen all of the, the manifestations that are the remnants of a Christianity that is ossified and no longer has power. So the idea of a fresh proclamation of the gospel when they've already heard the language, but uh, emptied of its power. How to do that today, I think is, is a major challenge. And so uh, I'd, I'd love to get some insight from you or some thoughts from you around how do we proclaim the gospel in a situation where people are done with Christianity and the language of religion well let's go back to the question you asked earlier with regards to time is it you know kairos or is it chronos i mean i don't care what somebody says i mean they, they may say that they're done god's never done mm -hmm. so god is continually you know god god wants somebody's conversion um far more than you or i want their conversion. He wants my conversion more than I want my conversion, right? God loves me more than I love him. And so I, I really don't care what anybody said. I'm still going to speak the gospel to them. And I know that what they want, even though they may not think they want it, is what we're talking about because God created them with the desire for love and God is love. So I, I think what we're seeing oftentimes is, a, uh, is an often well-deserved um, rejection of what you called an ossified Christianity, uh, a powerless Christianity, a lukewarm Christianity, um, a Christianity in name only, uh, with lives that don't look any different, and and a and a stunning lack of joy, and a stunning lack of charity. But when people really encounter that, I think something um, significant happens. Um, 
And so I, I'm not, I'm really not concerned with trying to convince anybody. I, I don't think that's my task. Uh, I don't put that kind of pressure on me. That's God's task. That's the Holy Spirit's task. My task is to deliver the mail. And, you know, John Paul challenged us to be new in ardor, new in method, new in expression. And um, our experience uh, in Acts 29, the work that we're doing, especially with the rescue project, but not just with it, is that over and over again, we're hearing from people, um, I have never heard this, and this is changing my life, because this is not the God I knew growing up, and this is not the Jesus that I heard proclaimed. And so I, I think if we, we, we need to make sure a couple of things, one, that we actually know the gospel, that we can share it in a way that's compelling and attractive, that we take the pressure off ourselves, and that we're, we're at least striving to live genuinely different lives. I mean, I, I fall on my face as much as anybody. The difference now is that I'm quick to get up, I'm quick to repent, I'm quick to say, Lord, that was, you know, wrong, stupid, whatever have mercy, whereas before I was probably just obstinate and justifying and whatever. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'd say. Love it. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com. drtomcurran.com. Okay, again, I'm talking with Father John Ricardo today, and uh, he's he's getting a good workout. Uh, do you feel like this is a pretty good workout so far, Father John? This is my second workout of the morning. I love this. Nice. Okay, good. This is a different kind of spiritual workout. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna it. I'm gonna stay along the lines of what you just said. Uh, one of my dear friends, who's I, I met him in the seminary. He's a he's a priest, holy priest of God. Uh, he challenged me very early on in my life in the seminary. He said, Tom, don't tell me what you believe. Let me follow you around, see how you live. And then I'll tell you what you believe. And there's a way in which our life can deny or betray our profession. And so what would you say is a belief that we as a church, or we can bring it down to whatever layer or level you want, what is it that we we believe? What's a belief that we say we believe that if people actually followed us around and saw how we live, that we actually don't believe it, that there's this discrepancy that exists between what we say we believe and how we actually live? I'd rather answer the other question, which is what is it that they should follow and see? Because I don't know what, what, what someone would say. I mean, I, I, think, I think what a lot of people would say if they followed many Christians, not, I mean, this is dangerous, right? I mean, because you're starting to generalize. Here, here'd, here'd, be, uh, here'd be one. So most of us pray the Our Father rather regularly. If we pray the rosary, we pray it every day. And we say in there every day, oftentimes many times a day, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. I don't think we do that. I don't think we want God to do that. I don't think we want God, most of us, to treat us the way we treat others. Yeah, please because, don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because uh, it would be very bad. So I, I think the church in general, um, particularly with how we speak about others, 
and including ourselves, uh, brothers and sisters, um, whether it's in blogs or social media, whatever kind it might be, um, we sound and look just like the world. Yeah. That would be one of the biggest things I would say. Uh, that's really good. I was thinking you were going to say something like, we don't really believe Jesus is present in the Blessed Sacrament, right? Something like that, uh, which is, a, I think, a kind of a standard type response. I like yours better. Uh, that's a that's a that's a really good one. That that it gets me thinking. All right, um, let's let's dive into. Um, we're going to get into spiritual warfare and and uh, the demonic stuff and all of that. So, what's a greater scourge for men? Apathy or pornography? What is a greater scourge for men, Catholic Christian men, trying to live their life of faith today? Apathy or pornography? So I think it's apathy. So pornography is rampant. It's not just rampant in men. Uh, I'll tell you as a confessor, it's rampant in women too. Um, it's ubiquitous, right? But I think apathy is more dangerous simply because um, we don't care about the scourge that is pornography, let alone a whole set of other scourges. We just, we're, we're, we're content with just kind of mid and going through life in a bland fashion as opposed to, uh, I, I just read during Lent, um, the old 16th century book, uh, Spiritual Combat, which is a bit of a challenging read. Um, but he has, a, he has a passage in there early on. He says, we need to learn to wake up with the attitude as disciples of a soldier at war and realize I have two choices today. I can fight or I can die. It's that simple. Because I have an enemy who does not sleep, whose desire is to destroy me. And even though he has been defeated, he has not yet been destroyed. And so I think a lot of us, quite frankly, don't live that way at all. We, we, um, we consign talk about spiritual warfare to, you know, people on the fringes. Uh, that's not reality. And so we, in general, live very, I, I might say, mediocre lives. Mm -hmm. um, we're neither pursuing, we're, we're pursuing neither greatness and holiness nor greatness and sin, for that matter. You know, be hot or cold. Um, cause even if you're pursuing sin mightily, God can work pretty mightily with you. Um, just like he did with people like Augustine or Ignatius or others. Um, so I think I'd say it's apathy without minimizing pornography that's at all. No, for sure. For sure. That's, I mean, again, any one of these, there's really not a wrong answer. It's a matter of, I want to see what insight mm -hmm. there is there for you to draw out. Okay. Um, do we need to understand more fully and appreciate the impact of, the ministry of demons or the ministry of angels. What do we need to appreciate, recognize, and and live in the light of more fully the impact of the demonic on our lives or the impact of the angelic on our lives? So I would say what we need is we need to wake up to the reality that is the spiritual world, mm -hmm. which, which would involve both. So, I, you know, there are, um, the, as a friend of mine would say, the world is an enchanted place. And there are so many more, there are so many more beings present in every situation than I can see. Both, and all, they're all angelic because the demons are angels, right? Just fallen angels. Um, so both good angels and bad angels. And uh, you know, it's kind of like the prayer of um, the prophets uh, to, or that the prophet makes to his 
for his servant who's feeling terrified because of the situation that he's in. And he just prays, Lord, just open his eyes that he would understand that those who are for us are more than those who are against us. So to live with a sharp spiritual vision, I think is increasingly important in this world that we're living in. In fact, this guy that I was talking to that I mentioned who was doing these fasts, I said, my, my image right now in the culture that we're living in, it's almost like looking at a weather map and you're seeing two fronts collide. So you've seen a, a high pressure and a low pressure system just collide. And when those things collide, uh, you get tornadic activity. And there seems to be an increase of that in the spiritual life right now for anyone with eyes to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then I- having said that, having said that, uh, the demons have lost and they know it. We j- and, and we have authority over them and we need to wield it. Jesus said, I have given you authority to tread on serpents. He meant that. He wants us to wield it. Not to go, you know, uh, some, I remember hearing a guy one time saying, you know, like to be a disciple is kind of like being a mailman. And so your task is to deliver the mail. But of course, you know, when you deliver the mail, sometimes dogs come up and, you know, they bite you, attack you, chase you, whatever. So you carry a stick with you. But your, your job is to deliver the mail, right? The moment that the mailman drops the mail and he goes looking for dogs with his stick, he's forgotten the mission. So we want to be careful that we don't get too fascinated with one thing. But at the same time, we expect dogs are going to come my way today. So I got the stick in my hand and I'm going to wield it in Jesus's name. I love that. That's great. I think that, uh, you know, both of those areas are in, uh, we have a serious need for better catechesis that can be brought down into our own lives of faith. Like I can't, like how much, how much I've been able to appreciate the role of angels in my own spiritual life, you know, Mm -hmm. that they're called to lead, provide and protect me. And that there's a way in Mm -hmm. which when I give them permission and I ask them to exercise the fullness of the, the role they have, the mission for which God has given my guardian angel or my family's guardian angel. And again, it shifts the entire approach that I have to my own life. But then, and you brought that up regarding the demonic, like we have authority over demons and there are demons that are coming at you. They're coming at your family and you're called upon mm-hmm. to take action. So I, you know, it seems to me that these are, these are like, these are things like, okay, you and I were in the seminary for how many years? Did you ever, how much did you hear about any of this stuff? You know, it's, it's a shocking next, next to nothing, next to nothing. Uh, in fact, I, yep. I put in the abstract. Very abstract. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And the whole chain of being and where the angels fit in as pure spirits, but not created spirits, blah, blah, blah. But what impact? I made a list of like 30 topics that were never touched upon in the seminary, uh, in a lecture, mm-hmm. homily, retreat, conference, a class, not to mention a, a whole, a whole, uh, you know, even a lecture. It, it was shocking the lack of what we received. But that's a, that's for another program. I'll take you through the 30 topics. Amen. <laughs> okay let's let's keep wait. moving let's move forward here we're not going to get through these all right um the world the flesh and the devil the world the flesh and the devil um talk about awareness of those sources that are going to undermine or overthrow our spiritual life where do we need to be more alert where do we need to be more on our guard regarding these entry points of the uh, of of concupiscence being stirred and our own spiritual lives being undermined. The world, the flesh, or the devil? Yeah, I'd say it's the devil because the devil's the root of the other two. 
So the reason why my flesh is problematic is because our first parents sold us into slavery. If they hadn't done that, my flesh would be totally in harmony right now, but it's not. Um, the world, meaning not God's creation, but that spirit of the world, which is hostile to uh, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is hostile to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because it is held in captivity to the enemy. I, I think the one of the things which the Lord's been impressing upon me over and over again over the last four, five, six years is um, you have an enemy and the enemy gets a vote, which is a basic military principle. You can have the best plan in the world for your marriage, for your family, for your parish, for your diocese, whatever it might be. The enemy gets a vote and the enemy is very real. But here's the key. The enemy is the enemy, period. No, no human being is my enemy as a disciple of Jesus. That's not to say that there aren't people doing wicked things. There are clearly people doing wicked things. I've done wicked things. You've done wicked things. But they're not the enemy. They're just rebels to win. But the enemy is the enemy. And we should not be um, terrified of him, but we do need to be mindful of him. And we need to resist him. You know, Peter says in First Peter 5, I think it is, you know, you're, you're um, be sober-minded. Your, your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. And that, that word resist doesn't mean just, like, don't cave, don't give in to temptation. It means oppose him. Take action against him. Do everything you can with God's grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to dismantle his kingdom so as to lead other people into freedom. Amen. All right. So let's talk about that battling against the devil. God raises up saints to uh, bring about uh, the, the great work of proclaiming the gospel in an age of bringing about renewal in the church. Uh, there have been different um, sort of uh, insightful leaders in, in that have looked at the history of the church and said, expect a saint to come from bishops, expect a saint to come, let's say bishops or priests from the clergy, expect the saint to arise from the religious, those who live a consecrated life, or expect the saint to come from the laity. So you have, for instance, Archbishop Sheen saying, uh, Bishop Sheen saying, this is going to be the age of the laity. Uh, you have a look at the history of the church and you see bishops and priests being used by God to renew the church. And then obviously you have the religious as well, religious orders, religious women uh, also being used by God. What's your sense about where the saints are coming from today? Do you see it from the clergy, including bishops? Do you see it coming from the religious or do you see it coming from the laity? Well, we need them all to be sure. But if I'm, if I'm candid with you, uh, I'm seeing I'm seeing a stronger, uh, both prophetic voice and uh, aroma of holiness from the laity. I, I, I do think, you know, we went through this time, you know, you and I uh, were, we were influenced so greatly by John Paul and we had this kind of like a new era of priests and whatnot. But I, I, uh, I'm very encouraged by many of the priests that I'm seeing who just, just want to be radically sold out for Jesus. But I think one of the things that's inspiring them is the pursuit of sanctity that they see in the people that they're caring for. It's almost like this, it's almost like Paul says, you know, uh, outdo one another in showing honor. 
Uh, and so there's this kind of holy competition, which can be very helpful. You know, like you think you think you're loving better than I am. I'm going to lay down my life more for you today. And so um, I think the, the the more that priests are around uh, holy laymen and women, uh, the, the holier they desire to be. And the more that uh, holy laymen and women are around or laymen and women are around holy priests, the, the, the greater their desire to be holy is, too. But I think it's. I think it's the lady that's calling us on in general to be uh, more heroic. Wow. That's a, that's a, that's a great insight. I love that phrase, the aroma of holiness. All right. So God, God uses movements to bring about renewal in the church. Uh, the movement, uh, let's call it charismatic re- uh, renewal. And then let's uh, baptism in the Holy spirit, signs and wonders, deeds of power, that whole realm of charismatic gifting, traditional Latin mass, as a movement of reverence and recovery of the, uh, the, the sacrificial reality of, of living out our lives uh, in Eucharistic ways that are, are utterly rever- reverent. Where do you see the movement of God today as you're like around the church and looking around? Do you see the, the movement of charismatic renewal, signs and wonders, deeds of power, traditional Latin mass, and a recovery of reverence in the Eucharist? Well, I, I'm thanking God for both. You know, I'm thanking God that there's a, a longing for um, reverent worship. Uh, I'm thanking God that there's a longing for beauty. Uh, I'm thanking God for what I see in a lot of folks who uh, who love the traditional Latin Mass for a longing for community. Um, the the danger that I've seen a few times in that is that it can be very temp- It's much more tempting there to build a ghetto. Um, Archbishop Sample, uh, I've heard him say on a number of occasions, the church has three options. We can capitulate, we can build a ghetto, or we can engage. And certainly a lot of people are capitulating. Um, it's very tempting to build a ghetto right now. Just say like the hell with the world, like keep them out. Uh, we, which really comes from out of a, a sense of despair. Sometimes like we don't have a chance, like the world's too strong. Uh, Jesus is Lord, but apparently not that big of a Lord. Uh, or we can engage. So, um, Again, I, I thank God for what I've I've seen in the TLM community. Um, the, another temptation there is simply, um, I mean, there are so many rites of worship within the Catholic Church that are all legitimate, and so anytime I think I have the right way, and I uh, I lack charity, I'm in danger. Now that can happen in the charismatic community too. I have a lot more experience in the charismatic community, just because it was something I was familiar with in high school and in college, and 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 have continued to be in and out of, I can speak more from much more personal experience with that, with regards to the dangers of it. I think the dangers there are simply, we can easily misunderstand that gifts are a sign of um, either God's approval or of holiness, when in fact gifts are just gifts. So someone came to, you mentioned Bishop Seen, and somebody came to him once and, you know, it was just kind of like fawning all over him and said, oh, you're such a holy man. You know, you're such a holy man. I just love you. And he says, what makes you think I'm holy? And she says, because of the way you preach. And he says, the way I preach doesn't tell you not whether or not I'm holy. The way I teach or the way I preach just tells you that God's given me a gift to preach. You'll find out whether or not I'm holy by watching me when I'm not preaching. And so we have a hard time, I think, oftentimes understanding how 
how these gifts can be exercised and not be signs of authenticity of the person. But I, we, we need them both. We need, we need right worship. We need beautiful worship. And we need to have the absolute confidence that Jesus is Lord and that he's sending us out into a world which desperately is longing for him, even though they don't acknowledge it. And with the power of the spirit to go and do everything we can to rescue people. I want to explore this a little bit more in a couple of directions. So um, when you and I, again, in the late 80s into the 90s, were um, looking at efforts to renew the church and draw people into the church, it was very much in a situation of Christendom. And there was a sense of saying that we have to retain our identity, but also be relevant. So we have to be able to express worship in a way that was meaningful and could connect into the lives, right? So you had the youth minister who would use the jargon and dress like the, you know, so identity and relevance. It feels like today that there's more of a shift to identity and reverence. So the shift from relevance to reverence in, and especially in the, in, in the Eucharist at the liturgy, that that's going to, in fact, foster renewal is if we recover reverence because that is going to put us into the dimension of the divine into the dimension of the holy okay with that said um we live this really weird life out here where carrie and i live where carrie goes to i'll say this out loud and we've said it before on the radio carrie goes to a pentecostal church sunday morning before mass so she'll go to a Pentecostal church because they have the most amazing praise and worship, openness to the gifts of the spirit, operating in the gifts of the spirit. She then leaves, puts on her veil and goes down to the traditional Latin mass. And, and so this whole idea of tradismatics, where there's this convergence between the baptism, the, those that are baptized in the Holy Spirit, open to the spirit, and those who are drawn to the, the greatest degree of reverence at mass itself that this there's sacred liturgy it feels like the lord is up to both right it's a both and and we gotta not look at each other as enemies um or as um somehow god's doing what we're doing and god's not doing what you're doing but somehow we've got to kind of let these two streams of, re of renewal come together i don't know what's your thought on that let me give you three thoughts the first is let me talk about movements in general real quick I, I'm of the opinion personally that um, I mean the, par the parish is very important. To be clear, it's where we are nourished with the sacraments. Um, it's please God where we are equipped for the work of ministry. I'm not sure that the parish is the future, the place of evangelization. I think that's actually the home. I, w the United States is not Europe yet, and I don't know that we'll ever be Europe, but. But parish life in Europe, by and large, is not robust. What's where you've seen growth in Europe is through movements, and so I think, I think evangelization in movements coming out of families, coming out of homes, it, it is the place where the real work of transformation of the culture is going to be happening. I think. Um, having said that, I use the the contrast between um, relevance. And reverence, I might say, um, I think what's what's so needed is rather than relevance, it's authenticity. Like I want to see. There's a there's a I think people respond to vulnerability, and they respond to authentic humanity, as opposed to when, when we try to be relevant. I'm, I'm clearly not who I am. I'm, I'm trying to I'm putting on a facade for the 
hoping that you will think I'm, you know, like, like you when in fact, it's obvious that I'm not like you, right? But when someone can be authentically who they are, that's incredibly attractive, because again, that shows freedom, because that means you know who you are. And most people are struggling with their own identity. And so they're struggling with their own identity, they say freedom and like, I want what you got. Mm-hmm. Then I think the, the last thing I'd say is, you know, I've always thought with regards to this, um, one of the guys on our team also, he splits his time one week, he's at a traditional mass, the other week, he's leading worship at a charismatic Catholic church. And um, I want to be like the, the owner of the storehouse who's bringing out of the storehouse, the new and the old. And, and the church is, you know, for all of the attacks that the church gets for being rigid, the reality is you can't find anything that's more um, liberal in the right sense of the word than the Catholic Church. Like, you, you want to you go to a traditional Latin Mass? Absolutely. You want to go down the street to the personal parish where they're exercising the spiritual gifts? Feel free. You want to be a Franciscan? Go for it. You want to be a Carthusian? Go for it. And our temptation, I don't think we handle as people in general and, and in Christians in particular, I don't think we really handle uh, unity and diversity. I, I want, if I'm honest, I want unity and uniformity mm-hmm. because I think I'm right. And if you were like me, you'd be doing what I'm doing. And I think we're always tempted to be in suspicion of those who aren't doing what we're doing. And um, I mean, there's four gospels for gosh sakes. And they're different. And yet they're one. I, I, yeah, they're I, one. I think there speaks that speaks to a lack of capacity to dialogue today, to really be open to the other and to speak the truth that we hold as precious, but in a way that's respectful to the other. Our last question, uh, because of time here, uh, I'm going to talk about the Benedict option. So St. Augustine, uh, fighting against the Donatists, uh, said that uh, in this time of serious persecution, um, some had to flee in order that the church would remain uh, in existence, but some had to stay in order to witness courageously, even at the point of the shedding of their blood. And so some are called to, to remain in places that are really difficult and dark and toxic to faith in order to witness there uh, to be a light in the darkness. But some are called to flee to save the baby Jesus from being slaughtered by Herod. They've got to find their Egypt. So I use that as my introduction to the concept of the Benedict option, that there are, are increasingly numbers of folks who are saying, you know what, I'm, I need to get up and move for the sake of the preservation of the faith of my kids, not to hide, but to preserve the baby Jesuses entrusted to my care in order that they might be strengthened to be salt, light, and leaven in the world. So when you are seeing people make more serious efforts are they doing so as a vitamin or as a pain reliever? Are they doing so in order to strengthen more fully the faith that is theirs? Or are they doing so because they need to flee a place that is so painful to them that they have to get to a place that's healthy for themselves or their families? My, my experience has been more people are fleeing because of the pain. That's not to say that they're not uh, eager for the vitamin, but there, there's almost such a, a wellspring of frustration um, that they uh, that they feel like they need to go. Now, let me just say something really quick if I can, because I've been praying with Benedict for a long time. I just felt like 
I've, I've been struck by the fact, like, why in the world is Benedict? How did Benedict become the patron of Europe? You know, like Benedict's long before the creation of Europe, right? And uh, Pope Benedict has some great things on this. He talks about how, you know, the the uh, the, the means by which the what, what what is now Europe was held in unity was a political and a military um, means. It was the Roman Empire. It was the legion and the Roman Empire in its system. Suddenly, the Roman Empire collapsed and there was no more unity. And so a new unity came about as a result of faith, which was uh, the Christian faith. And so the people of Europe, of the continent of Europe, came into existence. I, I've thought about that a lot for us uh, as a country. I, I have no idea what's going to happen to the United States of America. But as a friend of mine would say, um, we are burning our own house down. This cannot stand. It, it just can't stand. You can't have such radically contrasting visions of what it means to be human, what marriage is, uh, what the purpose of life is. You just can't. This can't sustain itself. And the reason why I mentioned that with regards to the Benedict option and the Benedict and what people are doing, it's kind of like I, I want people to think about what's the vision for why we're doing what we're, what we're doing. And I think the vision at least one of the ways to think about it is this. The, the Roman Empire collapsed. The church was there. And people who were like lost in the wilderness could look at a, at a community, a Benedictine community, and go, I think it's safe there. I think I can find love there. I think I can find food there. I think I will be protected there. I don't know how long it's going to take. And maybe, maybe we're going to marry an apparition and it doesn't happen at all. But, but sooner or later, I think we're going to be like, like, like that time was. And people are going to be um, looking uh, far and wide for places where they will be safe, where they'll be treated with love, where they'll be welcomed. We need to make sure that we're doing everything that we can, we can do to prepare our people to be those kind of places. Because our task, again, is to rescue the world as opposed to hide. Mm -hmm. And I, I totally uh, appreciate and um, would support somebody because they're, um, they're prayerfully discerning, hey, for the good of this family, we have to get out of this situation right now so that we can protect ourselves, get strong, and come back and rescue the world. We just want to make sure that we have it as a goal. I want to come back and rescue the world. Mm -hmm. But I think our parishes need to, you know, Jesus says a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You and I lived overseas and, you know, I have images in my mind of cities on a hill in, in, uh, in Italy, especially. And you build a city on a hill for protection, but you don't light up a city for protection. You light up a city so that the people who are down below, who are lost in the wilderness, who are hungry and beat up and sick and dying, they know up there, there's safety. And that's what we need to make sure that we're aspiring to be. Amen. I, I uh, Final word on that. When I look at what has renewed the church, it was the burning charity, right? The fire of charity, the fire of love. Um, but when people don't respond to the fire of love, the fire of charity, then it's the fire of calamity. So if people aren't moved by charity, they'll be moved by calamity. And so I think that it, it's probably going to be a bit of both, right? So hopefully we can be those burning, have the burning centers of charity be the church um, so that as Amen. calamity falls, they'll be drawn to that to that fire. So, Amen. 
Father John, I really appreciate it. It's Father John Ricardo again. Uh, you'll get more information about when he is here if you just stick around for one second. Father John, thanks so much for taking time today to be with me on the program. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the workout, brother. I loved it. <laughs> That's great. <laughs>